If you happen to be in New York City, I'd make a suggestion for how you could spend an hour or two today or another day during Holy Week. Starting at Central Park, which is just a few blocks from here, take a leisurely walk down Fifth Avenue, traveling south away from the park and the Plaza Hotel. This reverses the same route as the famous Easter Parade, but done with a very different intention. I'd suggest taking this stroll as a kind of mini pilgrimage. Enjoy the early spring weather if possible, but continue pondering the mystery within the story we're telling today. For instance, you could hold the idea that Jerusalem was a jam-packed, bustling crossroads for commerce, and within the walls stood one of the wonders of the world of the day, King Herod's magnificent temple and the Temple Mount an immense and astonishing human achievement. The city was a cosmopolitan melting pot. Herod was a master builder, and it reflected his ambitions for place and power within the Roman Empire. Jerusalem was imposing and inspiring and chock full of human aspiration of every kind. On your Fifth Avenue stroll, make note of the impressive emporiums to commerce and the monumental scale of the street and buildings. Note how towers dwarf a few churches, past Bergdorf's and Tiffany's and Trump and high-end designers. Slowly flow down the walk until you reach the promenade at Rockefeller Center. Standing at the curb for a moment, look towards the slender, elegant tower of 30 Rock the site of many popular television and video streams. Perhaps the architecture will strike you as it did me one fine bright day nearly four decades ago now, like the nave of an immense cathedral, the tower rising like the highest of all steeples before a sunken altar with the dazzling sculpture of a golden man. He floats above the gardens and the rink, or seasonally, below the famous Christmas tree. The centrality of his presence is inescapable, rising 18 feet and weighing eight tons. He's thought to be among the most famous sculptures in our land, falling just behind the likes of the Statue of Liberty and the monumental Lincoln in his Washington Memorial. The golden man is Prometheus. In Greek mythology, he was of the earliest race of gods known as the Titans. The reigning court of Mount Olympus, headed by Zeus, had conspired to destroy the world by depriving it of fire. Prometheus stole the fire and gave it to the race of humanity. And for this treason, Zeus had Prometheus chained to a rock where by day an eagle tore out his liver. By night his terrible wound healed, only to cause the repetition of the agony at the sun's ascendance every morning. Over millennia, in many works of art and literature, Prometheus has been understood as a champion of humanity. The real interest of the story pertains to what he holds in his hand. Fire. Fire has been understood as the preeminent tool for humanity's ascendancy and creativity. So Prometheus has been emblematic of human ingenuity and industry. And much like words inscribed on a church wall, 
the golden words embossed on the wall behind Prometheus proclaim, Prometheus, teacher in every art, brought the fire that hath proved a means to mighty ends. It's fitting that at the heart of a remarkable cathedral to human achievement, a memorial to so-called mighty ends, we find Prometheus on prominent display. Then, like stepping behind the altar, stepping into the lobby of the tower behind, we behold two monumental murals, each entitled Man's Intellectual Mastery of the Material World, Man's Conquest of the Material World. These are the celebrated Promethean outcomes made manifest in the skyscrapers and the commerce they house. Every once in a while, say at least once a decade, I've recommended this pilgrimage specifically on Palm Sunday. The alchemy in the blending of the stage set of New York, the current state of the world, and the retelling of Jesus' extraordinary story is too good to pass up. If it were logistically possible, our pilgrimage down Fifth Avenue would be accompanied by a hymn we sing on Palm Sunday that goes like this. Ride on, ride on in majesty, in lowly pomp ride on to die. Bow thy meek head to mortal pain, then take, O God, thy power to reign. Jesus rode into his impressive city that was brimming with human aspiration of every kind. It seems well matched to the impressive realized aspirations of Rockefeller Center, all of Fifth Avenue, Times Square, Broadway, and Wall Street. This city asserts to a fare thee well the possibilities within human ingenuity, pinnacle of human achievement, the gift of the unleashed. Hasn't this fire attracted many would-be New Yorkers from around the world like moths attracted to a bright light? Human nature hasn't changed all that much over the course of our recorded history. With just a little effort, we can begin to understand the dynamics swirling within first century Jerusalem. We recognize the players and their motives embedded within their time and place. They're not so unlike us, right? Surely that's a principal reason the story rattles our conscience and remains so vital in the telling. If we had taken our Palm Sunday Fifth Avenue parade together, I would point out how the Promethean Monument stands across the street from St. Patrick's Cathedral, which was ostensibly built for the greater glory of God, the greater glory of humanity across the street from the greater glory of God. At our clearest and best, we remember Jesus for something very different than the gift of mythical Prometheus. Part of the problem Jesus encountered with his own followers was that he did not live up to their expectations of achievement. A stupendously gifted man, he honored something, or I should say someone, more than his own abilities, more even than his own life. He seemed like a seriously chronic underachiever. In the process, Jesus bequeathed to us 
a very different sort of monument, the cross, a humiliating symbol of defeat, not of triumphant accomplishment, or so it seemed. For with Jesus, things were not as they appeared. For him, first things were last, and last things were first. For him, humility was glory. The lowly and rejected were elevated. For him, the poor in spirit, those that mourned, those that hungered and thirsted for righteousness. The merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted, all these held the place of honor and blessing. And so this strange symbol of the cross, standing outside the city within the garbage dump, a place of death, became the emblem of a very, very different sort of success than what the spirit of the time espoused. Teilhard de Chardin had Promethean energy in mind when he wrote, Someday, after mastering the winds, the waves, and gravity, we shall harness for God the energy of love, and then for the second time in history, we will have discovered fire. The energy of love produces different outcomes than Promethean energy. Where that erects a Rockefeller Center, the energy of love erects a cross. Promethean energy creates Amazon and warships and General Electric and subways and nuclear fission and cars and Hollywood and on and on in innumerable ambiguous outcomes. The energy of love produces persons who, in the words of the Apostle Paul, share the mind of Christ who took the form of a servant and said things like, no one has greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Promethean energy creates things out of stuff. Love creates a human family. Fritz Kunkel points out that both Prometheus and Jesus bring us fire. Prometheus was punished by Zeus for having stolen fire and bringing that fire to the world. Jesus also brought fire to the world, but ironically was punished by the human race. Why is this? That's the question that lingers in the air. Why do we crucify the things that matter most of all? Why do we subvert, ignore, or otherwise resist the hand of the one who loved us into life in the first place? Why are we more enamored of the gifts than the giver? Why are we like children squabbling over the toys strewn under the Christmas tree, oblivious to the one who wrapped them up for us as a wonderful surprise? The world to which the cross points is not attained by amassing our strength and storming the gates. Instead, it would seem to be attained by surrender, by discovery that talent alone does not a human make. That human achievement, as remarkable as it may be, is not the real point of it all. Our own mortality ought to remind us of this. One day we will leave as we came with absolutely no say in it. What does seem to matter then, with the little bit of time we've been given, is how well we manage to love. That's the story of the life and times of Jesus. That's it, that's it, that's it. 
that's what we're supposed to get. That's the point of it. That's what this week is about, drilling down into the heart of things, walking with Jesus through the bitter ends so we might discover the truly astonishing beginning on the other side of suffering, ultimately traveling all the way to resurrection. Friends, go the distance this week. See the conflagration Jesus' fire ignites. Pray that your own soul catches flame.